What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Premier League podcast here on FanDreg Sports with me, Sebastian Noren, Elliot Niblock, and Polly Quistel. Wenger out. Right to the money here. We're not burning the lead, as Polly say, you know, always say. Wenger is saying... You're not burying it because I already hit you over, a ha- over the head with a hammer with he it. He's saying adieu, or whatever you say, bonsoir, I don't know. Is it adieu? I don't know. He's saying bye-bye. 22 years <laughs> as the Arsenal boss, and he will leave at the end of the season. Elliot, I mean, we got to ask you here, how does it feel to finally have an end to this saga of Wenger is staying, Wenger is he going? Now you know for a fact that he is leaving at the end of the season. Well, I mean, it is, it's one of the most profoundly bittersweet experiences that I've had in my life. Because, I mean, I've said many times on this show, pretty much for the entire, you know, duration of this show, that I have a deep-rooted respect for Arsene Wenger, and I think the time for him to step down has come and has lingered. And so it would have been better if he'd done it last year, perhaps. Maybe it would have been better if he'd done it in the summer. Um, But it's time. It's something that I've called for for a long time. And yet, now that it's finally real, like it was a profoundly sad day, or I should at least say melancholic day, as I was digesting the news and, you know, reading all of these tributes to him, the most poignant of which I think was from former uh, goalkeeper and coach, goalkeeper's coach, um, Bob Wilson, who talked about how Wenger was there for him when his daughter died uh, tragically. And, you know, speaking about the endurance of human spirit and things that reach far beyond the football pitch. And it's really those kinds of tributes that have gotten to me that have both, you know, made me hold an even hold a man that I already had enormous respect for in even higher esteem and impress upon me just how lucky we were to have him. You know, it kind of feels like it feels like the end of a relationship that, you know, you had to get out of, maybe you had to get divorced, maybe you just broke up, but everyone knew it was for the best. And yet you still look back and you're like, Oh damn, that person was amazing. This is the best thing to do, and it's still really sad. Pauly, when do you think that Wenger should have said goodbye? Oh, he should have said goodbye a few years ago. I don't, I don't doubt that. I understand why he didn't. Um, this is a man that that bleeds Arsenal red. He he very much, you know, he lives Arsenal, and he is. Um, it, and it's it's good that you know all this looking back on the career in Wenger and this reflection is coming out now because it reminds you that he's not just this buffoon who seems lost. He's a man that cares deeply about the sport and about winning. And he's a man that loves to win and, and hates to lose. And he's just competitive. And a competitive person really doesn't know when to walk away. And that's not just the manager. That's athletes too. They, they really – Someone that's so competitive, they're always looking to win more. And um, they they rarely know, like, now's the right time to walk away. And in Wenger's case, you know, the league caught up to him, and he really didn't have an answer for that. Yeah. I think that the, the headline that I saw that summed it up best was um, Arsene Wenger, the – Behind now, behind the times, once revolutionary who refused to give up on his ideals, which is really true. And many of those ideals, I think, 
are enduring hallmarks that he has left on the game, such as the state of kind of sport fitness in the Premier League now versus where it was when he arrived. Yeah. I mean, he was really one of the the path-breaking innovators in that sense. Now, I mean, the thing is, here's how it's no longer go drinking smooth. Yeah, but like drinking smoothies instead of beer is no longer the revolutionary idea that it once was, and now they're you know sports science professionals with degrees specializing in that field that every team has, you know, multiple of, as opposed to, huh, this French guy came in from Japan and he said maybe we shouldn't get drunk four nights a week. Yeah, here's how it's going to go go down. Name me a more important person to the Premier League in the Premier League's history than Arsene Wenger. I mean, that's, that's another good way to... He is the most, <laughs> he is is the most important person in Premier League history, and he is the reason that the league looks the way it looks now. And a lot of it is in terms of what you just said. Now, yeah, we have sports scientists on every, on every team now. Back then, we had them. No one listened to them, except Arsene Wenger came around and said, hey, uh, these guys are on to something. Drinking beers before games, not a good idea. Maybe let's have these smoothies. And he said... You know, we're going to do that. We're going to change the way we train. Um, I was watching um, the Men in Blazers like uh, show about the first Premier League season, which was four years before Wenger arrived in, um, in England. And I think the number was like either 13 or 17 people that didn't come from the British Islands um, were in the league. There were like 17 foreigners in the entire league. There's like 17 English people in the league there. <laughs> like Wenger came in and just, he said, hey, look, guess what? There are other countries that know how to play football too. And like, we have money, you know, like, yeah, granted, like Alan Shearer and Roy Keane were being signed for like 2 million pounds, but that's more than people were being signed for in other countries. And, and Wenger brought those guys in. And, and when he came in, the league was inherently British. You know, it, it's still, you know, the, every when I wax poetically about watching the third round of the FA Cup because you see those muddy fields and those those teams just playing 4-4-2 against each other and hoofing long balls in a certain gracious style that you don't see in the MLS. Um, that's what the league was. And, you know, even Man United was, was doing that. They just happened to have Cantona and, and Giggs and just really good players. But that's how they were playing. And Ferguson had no... Ferguson had no reason to change that until Arsene Wenger came along and, and beat him and pushed him. And Ferguson had to adapt and change it. And he did that by plugging holes um, really at the, in the beginning of in the early 2000s until the mid-2000s came and, and Jose Mourinho came along. But I think jo like Arsene Wenger sort of opened up the door for people like Jose Mourinho to come into the league. And that's when Ferguson said, I really need to change and took a few years to rebuild, which is a test, which is really the flaw of Wenger and the greatness of Ferguson was Ferguson was able to adapt and Wenger really never was. But yeah. the reason that the league looks the way it looks now is because of Wenger. It's not because of Ferguson. Well, it's, and I think it's because of Wenger. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I think that a big part of, I mean, this, and this also has to do with, touches on what you were saying earlier about it's really hard for a lot of people who are so fiercely committed to know what the right time to step down is. And I also think that probably, you know, the way that he was so revolutionary is because he had a vision. And when you are that kind of visionary, that kind of revolutionary, 
you know, maybe in order to do that, you have to be so fiercely committed to the vision that you can't necessarily see that the changing landscape around you change, like needs to change your own personal approach as well. And so in, in many ways, yeah, it's probably true that his greatest weakness was also the source of his power. And I mean, think about it this way. Like what's, what's without a doubt, the biggest league in the world is the Premier League. Without a doubt, there's three people. We're three people right here sitting in three different parts of America talking about it. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Because the Premier League became such a global thing. And what really pushed it to that? And the argument to be made here is, is those Manchester United versus Arsenal battles in the early 2000s, the Invincibles going to Old Trafford and coming away with that win, United beating them in the FA Cup that year. Uh, I believe it was the semifinal. Um, United ending the winning streak the following year at Old Trafford, the pizza incident, Wenger versus Ferguson. The fact that when Wenger came to, to England, you know, for in his first seven years in England, he, his numbers were right up there with Ferguson. It's, the same way that they credit, like, Magic Johnson versus Larry Bird as being the guys that, that saved the NBA and then Michael Jordan coming in later and, and taking it to a new level, that was Ferguson versus mm-hmm. Wenger. And then in yeah. came Jose Mourinho and all the other managers with personalities and everything. And that, you know, t- but those two guys, that really put the Premier League on a, on a global um, – on a global, more of a global scale, you know, like, you know, you still have United Liverpool's the most watched match in the world, but that wasn't lighting the Premier League on fire. You have Barcelona, Real Madrid. I mean, La Liga has no traction in this country. It was, it was those matches that really put the, gave the league a global footprint. And Grant Wall tweeted out on Friday or Saturday, and he goes, the ultimate disappointment in the United States here is that most fans, most American fans, don't know how good Arsene Wenger was before 2004 yeah. because they just didn't become fans until afterwards. But the reason that they became fans is because of how good he was, because mm-hmm. he helped get the game, uh, not just to America, but everywhere beside, you know, everywhere outside of England. Well, you know, and I was having a conversation at the Arsenal bar here in Chicago over a year ago Um and so in many ways, kind of the worst of the recent Arsenal slump hadn't even set in. Uh, this was just in January. But the guy I was talking to, you know, he, he followed the club very closely, but he'd only followed the club for like two years, you know. And he was so vitriolic and vociferous in his commitment to Wenger out that, you know, I, it's exactly what you're talking about, right? And that he... It's one thing to read a history book. This is one of the horrors about Holocaust memory, right? Is that it's one thing to read a history book. It's another thing to talk to somebody who experienced it. It's yet another thing to experience it yourself. And so, yeah, it's fantastic that the game is growing so much in America that there are really committed new fans of English clubs. That's great. But at the same time, it does mean that the fan base has an increasingly short-term memory and... (laughs) Let's be real. Football fans have pretty short-term memories already. So the, the question now is, is where does Arsenal go from here? And I think they really need to pick their next manager wisely because we've always, we spoke about this when, when Eddie Howe was on his rise at Bournemouth and, and like we've, we've said, hey, be careful. Don't pick uh, like a small, a small, uh, you know, I mean, I would say look at the, look at, 
you look at Roy Hodgson at Liverpool, you look at Brendan Rodgers, who apparently is the bookies' favorite uh, to get the Arsenal job. Look Oof. at what he did at Liverpool. Look at what David Moyes did at Man United. You know, be careful about who you pick. If I were an Arsenal fan, I would be starting a GoFundMe right now to get them to throw as much money as it takes at Thomas Tuchel. Um, yeah. But, but be careful he about who you pick. But the good news is, the good news is, is that maybe, like, what, whoever you do pick, like, this board has shown a over-willingness to be very patient, and maybe he will get the amount of time that a manager should get. Well, maybe. and I think that, yeah, we'll see. My hope is, so, as for Thomas Tuchel, there are rumors that he has some bad blood, not only with Aubameyang, but more importantly with... Oh, Rose. With, uh, they signed that other guy in the Dortmund office, yeah. and that's, that's the, literally the reason... The definitely not Dortmund. director of director of football, who's essentially director of football. And we'll yeah, and that, that actually thing. is the reason he left Dortmund, which uh, gives me hope that maybe they'll still fire Mourinho and sign Tuchel, but that's not going to happen because we made the FA Cup final and we're going to win the FA Cup because, um, because he's reasons. a very good... He's he's a very good one-off tactical manager, and this is a one-off game. But well, uh, yeah. yeah, we'll say we'll say more both about Arsenal appointment and uh, the FA Cup in a little bit. But the the last I I want to still dwell just a little bit on on Wenger's legacy for another moment because he he he's, he's very he was very careful in the post game press conference in order to. Um, in order to, like, you know, I asked him questions about what were you doing the moment you realized that it was time to leave? He said, it's not the time. I'll talk about that one day. It's not now. And all of his comments about deeply loving the club and what he said particularly about the fact that he might or might not ever manage in England again, what I thought was really well, art- well articulated in that he said, look, I, I love this. I love this job. I'm not sure if I can live without it, so maybe one day I would come back and manage another club. I can't tell you that right now. But yeah, I, I, it would, okay. I don't Here's think he'll coach do. again in England. Here's what you could do, Arsene. But, but he Here's said, what you can do, Arsene, and I don't know if Elliot wants to hear this right now, but here's what you can do. You could take off from the end of the season in May until, um, I don't know, August. And around August... I forgot what his name is, but the new president of U.S. Soccer, he should be calling Arsene Wenger every hour until Arsene Wenger agrees to coach the U.S. Men's National Team. I would, I mean, I would love that. And the thing is, and, and if you want to, and, and if you and you want to, you say you wanted to talk about his legacy, that's the man you want to get because remember, for years, Arsene Wenger used to say, "I don't have the money to compete with these yeah. top teams," as he still churned out Arsenal teams that were not only just good enough to uh, finish, you know, in the top four of England. Some of them were damn-ass good, you know. Like, um, in 2009, when they went to the semifinals of the Champions League, only to run into a juggernaut Manchester United team, you know, they finished third that year. They, they went to the semifinals. That, that team was a mm-hmm. very young, very good team that uh, Wenger built, and they're literally only the best teams or the richest teams, Manchester City, came and poached all their players. So... When you put him into a situation where, you know, yeah, he has to compete with other countries that just develop talent better, but you're not develop, you're not dealing with teams that you're taking money out of the equation. He should be able to compete. And, um, you know, maybe I'm sure he would love to have the France job as he is native to France. 
But maybe France isn't the right job for him because you are dealing with a lot of superstars and we have seen some superstars don't respond to different managers. But maybe the U.S. job where, you know, he's really training a new generation of talent would be just the perfect fit for him. Yeah. Let's take a quick break here and we'll get back to that thought after these quick words. Okay, and we're back. Uh, Paul, you said before the break here that maybe the U.S. men's national team would be a good fit for Monsio Vengar. I mean, for starters, for starters, international management is yeah. the best fit for him right now. I mean, any old manager, yeah. when you retire from your club, you go to international management because it's like a part-time, it's like a half-time gig. Yeah. Well, and he also, he's clearly, I mean, he is, Again, speaking of strength of character and human spirit and the ability to endure, he's done all those things, but he's clearly been wounded and, you know, bloodied but unbowed, but wounded nonetheless by the English media. And it would be impossible not to be, you know, whether you're in a top four battle or whether you're even a relegation threatened manager, like the media is merciless. And although, of course, we ourselves personally even, are often vocal critics of the U.S. Soccer Federation. And so it's not as though that criticism would disappear. They are not listening to us. The pressure would be far less, far less. Yes, but I mean, I want to see him go go back to Japan. (laughs) Yeah, that would be funny, but I don't think it's Okay, but all right, so he goes back to Japan. When will you see him? Oh, there's. I'll watch the J League. Yeah, there's some stream somewhere you can watch the J League. I'll, I'll tune well, in. I, I would I mean, want him. I'm... I've I've attended just as many J League matches as I have uh, Premier League matches. So there you go. I, I I mean I I thought I was crazy for suggesting it as I I threw it out to my friends, being like I think I am being a little bit of a nut nuthead here. And then you know I let I I threw it out. I said, should we go after Wenger? And then I let that comment marinate for a bit. And, you know, with it classic me, within 15 minutes, I had talked myself into it that I'm going to be disappointed when it doesn't happen. You're looking for a person who would continue essentially what Jurgen Klinsmann did and, um, you know, change the way that the U.S. is playing and, and really develop a new generation of young talent that is developing different from the way they were, they were coming in 10 years ago. And, would, and you can establish somebody that, that would play differently and I think when you remember how he came in and and changed Arsenal like that's what the U.S. needs and he's still a good manager he just you know the Premier League caught up to him but international soccer is a different game yes yeah and I mean yeah yeah, Uh, if they decided to go with him I wouldn't have any problem with it oh I would he's uh, he would be a phenomenal fit for uh, a team like the U.S. that also particularly needs to work on how it develops young talent. And obviously he has uh, an excellent track record in that regard. But so. I mean, like, yeah, just look at the names of players that came up through him. I mean, yes, someone like Cesc Fabregas came from a big club, but really got his chance at Arsenal and became the player that he was at Arsenal. And then, you know, he's poached by Barcelona. He's poached by uh, Van Persie's poached by... Um, by United, Thierry Henry's poached by Barcelona. He developed some really top-end talent. Yeah, Freddie Youngberg. 
Yeah, the only the only issue is he has trouble developing goalkeepers, but the U.S. doesn't seem to have that problem, except for right now we seem to be at the first dearth of top-quality goalkeeping that we've ever had in our country. So that's maybe not a marriage made in heaven, but we could figure it out. Oh, yeah. 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 There's Jonathan Klinsman. Let him let him take the gloves. Yeah. I mean, I would I would certainly prefer to see Arsene Wenger as an international manager anywhere than at another club. And of he course, is not going. You know, it, I he is 100 percent right. He is not managing and getting. First of all, he is not. I mean, it's it's hard for him to get another managerial job in England. He's not British, so he is not into the recycled British pipeline of people. Um, so it, I, I just I can't see him going anywhere in England. Although I, it would be really ideal if somebody let Arsenal know that Louis Van Gaal is available currently. Yeah, that's that would be hilarious, but also not going to happen. I saw some headline about how uh, I think it was yeah it was Gary Neville who said that Arsenal should go after Diego Simeone. Oh, yeah. Yes, so mean, should that's, everybody. That's the dream, but I don't... That is the well, dream. I mean, I'm not sure it's realistic, but I, I would love to have him at the club. Another name that's been, that's been thrown around a lot has been Patrick Vieira, for obvious reasons. And yeah, he's actually he's being a manager, a and he's having success. He has kind of taken himself out of the running, which mm. I see why he's doing. You know, it, it's... You know, it, it's a good sign that he's doing it, but it also raises some red flags that he's doing it. Like, why doesn't he want the challenge? I think he thinks he's not ready, which is yeah. very fair and true. But also, someone tweeted on Friday, you know, like, what Arsenal should do is throw a lot of money at Carlo Ancelotti to sign him for two years. And in two years, you go after the manager that you really want because no matter what, it's just very hard to be the guy after the guy. Yes. And yeah. You know, and Carlo get, Ancelotti already has a lot of experience doing that. But but Car, but also like when you hire Carlo Ancelotti, you wouldn't be now. Here's also the mistake that that you can and probably will make. And United made the same thing. There's no such thing as a legacy manager anymore. You know, Sir Alex Ferguson appointed David Moyes to United and said, "You're you're the new manager because you'll be here for a long time." Like that just doesn't really exist in soccer anymore. Yeah, um, that was one of Ferguson's I mean, worst moves. Yeah. yeah. Although, it's, that's also something that Wenger has explicitly said he will not do. He's like, look, my job is to manage the football team and, you know, be in charge of some player acquisitions, not to hire the next manager. That's he did apparently board. recommend Vieira, though. Uh, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, you know, I mean, I guess, I look at all the best teams, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, um, Chelsea, City, you know, nobody, none of them have had managers that stick around for a while. But nevertheless, I guess you hope that when you sign someone, especially if you're signing someone on the younger side, that you will stick around longer. It's very hard to be the guy after the guy. So when you hire Ancelotti, you know you're not getting him for a long time. At least now it distances the club from Wenger. Yeah. And when you hire a new guy, it's like, He's ready to take over. Yeah, but I think Simeone could go in and stay for like five years. That's a good cycle these years. If you get a manager yeah, for five years. Yeah, but I don't want them to hire Simeone because we only, like, if we don't get rid of Jose Mourinho now, we're getting rid of him after next year and we need someone available that's, you know, good. <laughs> and Diego Simeone is on that list. Yeah, he's very, very good. Okay, let's get on to what actually happened on the pitch here a little bit. Uh, 
looking towards the bottom of the table, West Brom got a 2-2 draw with Liverpool. And Stoke got a 1-1 draw against Burnley. And Wilfred Zaha took a dive. Yes. Uh, no player's been booked for diving more recently than Wilfred Zaha. Yeah, West Brom still dead last 25 points. Stoke second from the bottom 20. What's the points. deal with this matter? This big manager at West Brom, and they're getting results. But I looked at the table yesterday, and it, somehow they aren't mathematically relegated already, but they're pretty much relegated. Pretty. They much. really don't have a chance. Yeah. I think they would have to win every one of their games. Yes. Yep. Yeah, they cannot afford to even... Yeah, they can't even afford to draw another game. They need to win all their games where Swansea must... Yeah, Swansea must lose out. And Southampton and Stoke can't pick up more than four points each. Jeez, that's a lot. But it's... Well, you say obviously not happening, like... Any one of those, the, the least likely thing to happen is West Brom winning all four of the games. Like if, if I told you Swansea's yeah. not going to win another game all year and they're going to lose all their games, you'd be like, "Yeah, I could see that." Well, and also, yeah, I mean, to to your point, to be fair, I also definitely did not envision that game. It's like, oh, Liverpool's up two 0 Okay, that's it. Yeah, I Pretty checked my much. phone. Wait, it was what? two 0 and I went back to sleep. And <laughs> yep. then my friend was texting us, and I like sent him a text, and he just responded like, "I mean, Lover did did Lover and things, which is going to cost us two points." And I went, "What? Oh, wait, like, what do you mean?" I was like, "I was like, last I checked, it was like the seventieth minute, and you were up two 0 Yeah, yeah. Jake Livermore in the seventy ninth minute, and Solomon Rondon eighty eighth minute. So they got a point out of that one. Like we said, Stoke got a 1-1 draw against Burnley. They uh, did have the lead in that one. Badu Indaye, 11th minute, and then Ashley Barnes tied it up. The biggest thing to be concerned about, though, is the amount of teams that, you know, you're not really, other than like Burnley recently, the idea of a team yo-yoing between the Premier League and the championship, even with the parachute payments, like especially because of the parachute payments, that teams just go down, they come straight back up, doesn't really exist anymore. It's far more likely now for teams to go down again. That like, mm-hmm. I, And this has just been confirmed by Sunderland got relegated from the championship yep. this, this year. And it's also, I mean, you just become a fire sale and a, and a mess in the Premier League, and that just carries over to the next season. And the teams in the championship are good enough to make you pay. Yeah, and I mean, that's the problem, too. Like, often, oftentimes you lose your good players, and then you're stuck with the ones that are kind of shitty and expensive. Yeah, well, but you should yeah. be developing your own players. <laughs> yeah, and they're not. Yeah. They're totally not. Yeah, we'll see how it shakes out. I mean, you know, Wolves, they're going to be back up in it. They've invested a lot of money. they've been down for a while. Yeah, but they've invested a lot of money now, too. They got, right. what is it, and Chinese Fulham owners? Are, Fulham are going to come up. Fulham look like they're oh, set yeah. to come up. That's a great win because Craven Cottage is a great stadium to have. Them I mean, they might. Cardiff right now in second place. Get them out. I don't. I don't need to see Cardiff. Get, they get got me Craven Cottage. They back got a game in game in hand on Fulham too. And then Aston Villa, they're in a playoff spot. There we go. And uh, middle. I mean Middlesbrough, they're in fifth. Um, so I mean that's who else got knocked out last season? It was Middlesbrough. And Sunderland, uh, and who was the third one? I don't know. Hull? Yes. Yeah, and they're yep. in 18th. 
There you go. And, and Sunderland was relegated two years ago. Oh, no, they were relegated last year. They got knocked out. They, they fell all the way down. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you, if you look in the championship right now, it's a lot of te- there's a lot of teams there that played in the Premier League this decade. Not in the championship. League one. Mm-hmm. There's more than a few. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Wiggins down there. Bolton's down there. Blackburn's down there. Mm-hmm. Sunderland are about to be down there. Although Fulham, they're also at the end of a pretty long period out of the Premier League oh, themselves. Yeah. So. When did they go down? That's I a... think they went down in like 2013. Uh, right? Let me, let me right, that's five that. years. That yeah, Wolves they were... have been out since like 2011. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's see here. Wolves were only around for like two years. Yeah, 2014 they got relegated. 2014, okay. Yeah. So not quite five years. I mean, it's it's absurd that like, you know, the more stable teams, <laughs> the two of the most stable teams in the Premier League, and, and this is literally a testimony. So starting next year, to get back to Wenger, starting next year, the longest tenured manager, if he is still at the club, which now has become a big question mark, will be Mauricio Pochettino at Tottenham. And that, he is that's only crazy. He is the longest tenured Premier League manager only because he has been at Tottenham since before Bournemouth and Burnley came into the league. Otherwise, um, I think Sean Dyche has been at Burnley just as long as Pochettino, and Eddie Howe would is the longest tenured at one club. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's too much of a merry-go-round. But uh, but Pochettino's comments after yesterday's game have now raised some eyebrows. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, let's uh, go over to the FA Cup. Uh, Manchester United, they uh, knocked out Spurs 2-1. to one. Uh, What do you make of that game, Polly? Goals by Sanchez and Herrera. Herrera had a good game. Very good game. Herrera had a good game. Um, it, Spurs should have... Uh, here's the the thing, and this is going to kill England over the summer, is Harry Kane's not fit yet. And Spurs rushed him back because uh, they know exactly what they're getting out of Llorente. And they rushed him back, and they just look like a team that's not like, oh, let's add Harry Kane to it. It's Let's build this thing around Harry. They just looked like a team that was built around Harry Kane who's not ready to play. And that really hurt them. And they could have killed United because like they did in January – their wingers were just flying by United's 32-year-old lack of pace fullbacks. Mm -hmm. And they could have taken advantage of that, and instead they didn't. Because United did not come out, like, ready to attack and everything. They came out like Mourinho. Uh, They sat back. They really just let Spurs dictate everything. And um, I thought the referee was terrible on both sides. I thought United got away with a lot. I thought Spurs got away with a lot. Um and they just they ended up cashing in on, on a Spurs mistake, really. And that was ultimately the difference in the game. Yeah, okay. So, you, Hurricane, not fit yet. I totally agree with that. How do you think, you know, if you're looking at England and other players from this Spurs side who might be in the running, Dele Alli, of course, should be in the team. So, Eric Dyer. How do you think those two players looked? Are they getting fatigued, too, now after a long season? Eric Dyer is the founding and currently only member of the oh my God, I wouldn't mess with that guy because he looks Eastern European and like he could kill me with his bare hands, even though he is not even at all Eastern European Hall of Fame. Um, He looked really scary looking. He's 
Eric Dyer, you know, I'm a big Eric Dyer fan. I just, I mean, he's going to be on the plane to Russia. It just, it looks like yeah, the way sure. Gareth Southgate wants to play with England is he doesn't exactly fit the starting 11. Do I think he's one of England's best 11 players? Yes. But kudos, I think Gareth Southgate is also smart enough to be like, this is how we're going to play, and we're going to play the best players for this team. And I think at the moment, based on your current form, that leaves Deli Alley and Eric Dyer on the bench. The question is, you know, does he have the stones to say, if Harry Kane is not 100% fit, then we should go with either Rashford or Jamie Barty? Mm. Yeah. I mean, he, he has some options there. Rashford, very good. Vardy can also be very, very good. So He does, but what we, what we also know is that the Henderson-Dyer combination is not good. It, it was like when they tried to use Gerrard and Lampard together. You know, it's better yeah. to play one of them with a player that complements him, which somehow, in the March friendlies, um, was Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. And, you know, everybody had the same reaction when they saw the team sheet. And then when you saw the game, you were like, oh, my God, this is actually working. Um, yeah. I don't know who that player is with Eric Dyer because he didn't give him that chance. But right now, that's how you line up. Yeah. They're yep. going to play with the back three. They're going to play, you know, Kyle Walker's going to probably tuck in and play as one as that right central back, center back because, you know, that's kind of the position that he plays at Man City. And it really opens up England's dynamicism because it, it allows them to get Lingard on the field. It allows them to get Oxlade-Chamberlain on the field. And those are the players that do the dirty work for England. And it allows Sterling to have his freedom and, and make Sterling the best he can be. It's The question is, like, where does Deli Alley fit in there? Where, where does Eric Dyer fit in there? You know, can you get the best out of Jordan Henderson three times in a matter of two weeks? Yeah. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. We'll be talking more national team and uh, World Cup in general here after the season wraps up. Uh, the other FA Cup semifinal, Chelsea defeated Southampton 2 nothing. Goals by Giroud and Morata. So it will be Manchester United against Chelsea at Wembley on May 19th in the final. Big day. Big weekend for former Arsenal players in the FA Cup. So, uh, yeah, that will be very, very interesting. Oh, that dude, the amount of Mourinho versus Chelsea yeah. FA Cup story is going to make me want to kill myself. Just don't, but... just don't read anything. I don't know. I think United are going to win that game because it's a one-off. It's And Mourinho's going to spend – because, again, United are going to finish in the top four. Uh, at the moment, they're second. I think he cares enough about second to still give that uh, – make sure that United do well enough in there. But it's it's kind of like going to be last year after the League Cup. He just devoted all of his resources to the Europa League. And once they made the Europa League final, it was like he didn't even realize they were playing league games. He no. spent all of his time preparing for the um, – the Europa League final. So next week he plays Arsenal. So he's going to want to beat Arsene Wenger um, one last time. So he'll devote some attention to that. But after that, it's going to be entirely be about beating Chelsea. Yep. Yeah, that's true. With that, we're going to say goodbye for this episode. As always, you can talk soccer with us on Twitter. You can find me at Seb Noren. Paulie is P. Questel, And Elliot is Keats was better. Until next time, have a good one. Bye-bye.
to wonder how on earth did that happen?